Lord, you are just so incredibly good to us. Um, <laughs> for those of us that, that know Christ and called on his name, we know that you have saved us. Um, we've, saw, we've felt the weight of our sin. We've felt your forgiveness. Uh, but all of this is still just a shadow of what's to come, and one day we will see you in your glory, and we will see holy and, and fully experience uh, what the sacrifice of Christ did for us. We thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for guiding us and for leading us. And I just pray for this time as we look into your scripture, um, that you would teach us what you want for, uh, for us, Lord. And I just pray that, um, that anything that anybody takes away this morning would be from you, from your spirit, and from your word. And we need you, Lord, just as much now as we ever did. Lord, I've um, believed in, in Christ my whole life that I can remember. Um, there's never been a point when I've ever been good enough to, to hold up to his standard without, without your help. We need you as much as we ever did. Pray for strength this morning and pray for joy. Pray for thanksgiving. Pray for the things that you would have for us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, man, I'm already crying. I haven't started. It's gonna be a. It's gonna be. This could be a long. This could be a long one. Um, well, this morning, um, we, as you know, we've been going through the book of First Corinthians, which has been a really cool study. I've been learning a lot. Um, there's definitely been some tough things, but some encouraging things. I think we've all learned a lot um, from that. Uh, but we're not doing that this morning. Uh, we'll pick up with Corinthians uh, again next week, um, but this last two weeks, uh, we've kind of been taking a break for that, for, this, for these holiday, uh, holiday weeks. And so I, um, I was, uh, this morning was the, the morning that I was going, assigned or chose to, uh, to teach, and um, I thought, what, what's a good thing to teach on? We just had Thanksgiving. Well, what's the most obvious thing that you teach um, right before Thanksgiving? We'll teach on Thanksgiving. So... That was my first thought, um, you know, especially after Thanksgiving. Maybe Thanksgiving's gone from our mind. We'll take some time to look at Thanksgiving. So I, I thought I'd set out to go through all these New Testament Scripture verses about Thanksgiving. So I went to the first one that came to mind, which was the ten lepers in Luke 17. It's kind of an example of Thanksgiving versus unthankfulness. And then I read through it and studied that passage, which I haven't studied in a long time. And I thought, man, this is a lot right here. So we're pretty much going to be parked in Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. And so I guess more than a topical study, we're really just going to end up uh, studying this passage. It was just, it was, so, it was so powerful. So many things just jumped out at me that I hadn't really uh, realized before. Or if I had, I'd forgotten. Um, so we're going to spend most of our time this morning in Luke 17, verses 11 through 19 again. Um, this message, this, uh, this uh, instance in Scripture... This account is particular to the Gospel of Luke. That's, we haven't gone through it when we've gone through John and some of the other Gospels that we've done lately. Um, I'll just give a little bit of background info before we get into the verses. Uh, this is kind of a beginning of a separate section of Luke uh, of, in the life of Christ. This is the final months of Jesus' life as he's heading towards Jerusalem um, and the Passion narrative. Um, this section in Luke is really from... 
1711 through 1927, which ends at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which, uh, which is his last entry into Jerusalem there. And this section is the beginning of the section where he's teaching more about the kingdom and also what the expected attitude of his disciples and followers. Up to this point, so right coming up to the section that we're reading today, Jerusalem, I mean, excuse me, Jesus has healed a whole lot of people in a lot of different places. Um, He's just come out of Galilee, where he's done many miracles. Uh, his name has become renowned. He's very popular at this point. Uh, in this section, we see Jesus uh, performing another miracle. He heals ten people of leprosy simultaneously, which is you know, that's an amazing thing. I don't think anybody else in history could ever claim that. And he heals them from this disease that's such a terrible thing. So what is leprosy? You know, I, know, I know some general things about leprosy, um, but I wanted to know a little bit about, more about it, so I pulled up Wikipedia and learned all kinds of fun things. I love the, love the internet, don't you? Uh, but it's a terrible disease um, that really carried a terrible stigma at this time. And even in, today's, uh, even in the world today where it still remains prevalent, it carries a very, a very tough social stigma. It's a disease that attacks the nerves and skin Feeling is lost, so a lot of people that have hands that are infected, uh, if they reach into a fire to grab something, they're not going to feel it. And that sounds, it sounds like a painless disease, or so what's the big deal? Um, but that's also what causes it to kill different cells, and you die a slow death without pain, but also without the benefits of having pain. There's so many benefits to having pain that keep you safe. You can uh, tear your ACL and possibly not feel it have to limp around with a leg that doesn't work, and your body just slowly uh, decays. Um, it's, a, it's a terrible thing. You can lose fingers, teeth. A lot of people that have leprosy lose eyesight. All, almost all people that have leprosy eventually have open sores that do not heal. The skin becomes thick and scaly. I'd never seen really pictures of people with leprosy that I'd looked for a lot, so I picked pushed images and flipped from picture to picture. I didn't realize how incredibly disfiguring it is. I mean, it is a nasty-looking disease. Just looking at people whose faces are affected by it, I mean, you can barely recognize them as human. I mean, some people have it a little bit on their hands and their faces haven't been affected that much, but once it gets to your face, I mean, you look, I mean, absolutely just, I mean, it's hard to even look at. I mean, it really is disturbing um, and, and horrific. Uh, we Now, we thankfully, we have effective treatments in this day and age for this particular bacterial infection is known today as Hansen's disease. Um, but over the past, and this is pretty interesting, over the past 20 years, um, more than 16 million people have been cured medically from this disease. Uh, it wasn't until 1982 that there was a, a cure for leprosy, but now it's, uh, it's fairly effectively, it can, it can be fought effectively with medicine. It's a communicable disease that you can get just from coming in contact with other people that have it. Um, and like I said today, it still does carry a social stigma in parts of the world where it still exists. For the most part, it's been eradicated in most uh, Western societies and more advanced uh, uh, places, but in some places that are very poor, it still, uh, it still remains um, in some number. I'm just going to read something quick that I read. And this was a report that was done in 2011 when people were studying leprosy that was that is still hanging around in some places in India. It says, people with leprosy in India, like many parts of the world, suffer under some of the worst conditions and stereotypes. Depending on the, leg, uh, the level of disfigurement, the leper could receive harsher stigma and ostracism. People with leprosy earn less. Up to 44% of people 
report that their pay dropped significantly after they contracted leprosy. Women suffer greater restri restrictions and social stigma than men. Leprosy prevents mothers from getting cl close to their children for fear of infecting them. In a report, 49% of women stopped breastfeeding their babies as a result of contracting leprosy. Doctors and other healthcare providers and NGOs are working hard to educate people about the disease. In one study, when leprosy treatment and educated was mixed with local healthcare program, the attitudes toward the disease were somewhat alleviated and people had a better understanding of it. Now the disease prevalence has been reduced to less than one per million in the population in India. And that's the place where it's still the worst. So this is like even now, if you, in some of these places, if you end up with leprosy, you're going to get cured. You're probably not going to pass it on and people are pretty safe, but you're still a bit of a pariah, which is sad. And in the time of this scripture, it was significantly worse. In the first century, when this is written, there's no cure for leprosy. People would have to be isolated. Lepers lived together, but they had to live outside the city gates, away from their families and friends. You know, leprosy was a bit of a living death sentence. You were not going to have the same life that you had had before once you contract the disease. Uh, we will see in this passage that you know, the lepers in this passage stood at a distance when they called to Jesus. Now, leprosy is an ancient disease. It's even been found in some mummies, so leading some scientists to think that it might have actually started in Egypt. Uh, Israel, if you remember, was in Egypt as slaves for a long time before uh, God freed his people there. So Israel had a long history with the disease. They knew about leprosy. And if you look in Leviticus 13 and 14, the law gives a process which was administered by the priest to see if, some, if a person really had leprosy. Um, and if so, that person was banished. They could not go into the synagogue, couldn't go into the temple, couldn't be with their family. Uh, these were the most miserable you know, of all people. Uh, they really believed they were cursed by God. And they had some reason to believe that. Um, if you look in Scripture, there's two separate instances where God uses leprosy as a type of divine punishment. Uh, we see that both in the case of Naaman and also with Isaiah. So up until this point in Scripture, we have uh, Jesus preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing all kinds of people of many diseases. If you look back in chapter 5 of Luke, he actually heals a man of leprosy. And now we have these ten men suffering from leprosy. They're also suffering from sin. And let's see what happens. So that leads us to the verses here. Luke 17, 11 through 19. And I'm going to be reading here from the New King James Version. Verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. So, I mean, the, 
just the first thing that strikes me from reading that is what, you know, what an amazing miracle. Ten men simultaneously healed. It was not like he touched one man. He spoke to ten, and these ten men are uh, simultaneously healed. It says that one was a Samaritan, and, and by implication, the other nine were uh, most likely Jews. And we see in chapter 5, 12 through 16, I was talking about this earlier uh, example of a leper being healed. That was an amazing miracle. This is that times 10. You know, this is just an amazing thing. Um, and as a note, you know, the Jewish leaders did not even deny these miracles. In chapter 5, the guy went, uh, the guy after he was healed also went to, uh, to the priests. And no, we don't see anywhere in Scripture where the uh, Pharisees or the priests or the religious leaders said that these things weren't happening. They had to admit that they were happening. You know, who could, who could, who could deny? Um, but these miracles are of mercy for people who su- suffered. We see in this, you know, compassion and th- sympathy, and also obviously the power of Jesus. He undoes what other people thought to be a divine judgment. So we're, we're going to look at this as a story first as we go through it. But there's also a sense in where this reads kind of like a parable, and we'll explain that towards the end. Verse 11 again. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. It's kind of a weird way to phrase that. Um, through the midst, um, your, your translation might say something different, like he reached the border of Samaria and Galilee or is traveling along the border of Samaria and Galilee. Uh, any event where he's at at this point is close between those two places. Um, now, the Jews are did not eat or associate with Samaritans. So that's a point uh, to keep in mind as well. Then he entered a certain village, verse 12. There he met ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. Now, the, the word that's used for leper in this verse also can, it's more of a general term that can also be other skin diseases. But the fact that these guys are standing afar off means that they didn't have like, you know, it wasn't some lesion on their arm. These guys were separate. The fact that there was a, a Samaritan with a bunch of Jews uh, when they didn't normally associate unless they were outside the city gates, it, it indicates this is definitely the real deal of leprosy. Um, and lepers must be separate according to law. We see it in Leviticus 13, 45 through 46. We see it in Numbers and 1 Kings. If you want those verses, you can... I'll talk to me after the message. Um, these were desperate men. These were miserable men. Uh, they have heard of Jesus and they've heard of his power to heal. So he comes by. And what happens? And he, they lifted their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. There's another thing about leprosy I didn't realize until I was reading about it, but it very, very commonly attacks the larynx, the vocal tract. I didn't know that. had no idea. So it's very common that people that have leprosy, not all, because it infects different parts of your body at different times, have very weak voices or what is described as almost ghostly or sometimes ghouly voices where it's very, where it's very uh, gravelly and just not, not normal human voice. With 10 of these guys crying out, there's a good chance the number of them had that. You know, could you imagine that picture, that sound, how desperate that must have been? They lifted their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. The word, interesting, they call Jesus Master. That word is epistasis. It's a word of weight and honor in the Greek. speaks of someone with notable authority or power. They knew of Jesus' healings in Galilee and Judea. They knew his reputation. Have mercy on us. And Jesus' compassion is widely known. They, they wouldn't say that to somebody that you didn't think had any chance of of, of uh, doing something, but they know of his compassion, they know of his power. Uh, it must have been a moving sight, 
you know, for, for our Savior to see these 10 guys suffering as they are, away from their families, um, just in this miserable state. It must have been a sight for him. So when they saw him, verse 14, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. They were cleansed. They were made whole. The leper in chapter 5, Jesus touched. Not so here. He just tells them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. That's a weird thing, huh? Go, instead be healed, go see your family, have a great day. The first thing he says is, go show yourselves to the priest. So like, what's that about? That sounds kind of weird. Jesus is upholding the Levitical law, and also he's also testing their faith at the same time as he does this. Normally, you know, according to Levitical law, uh, the cured must first be seen by the priest. And there's, a, there's a big regiment that he must go through, and if the priest says that he's cured, then he can take his place in society. So this is also for their benefit. They have to go see their priest before people are going to let them walk around in town. But it's an interesting thing because if your face is covered in leprosy, you might be missing some fingers. Your voice might not be right. You obviously have leprosy. You go walking up to the priest like that, you're liable to get taken outside and this you know, stoned. I don't know. I don't know what they did back then, but it would not have been looked on. Uh, it would not have been looked upon favorably. So that's an interesting thing that he tells them to go and present yourself to the priest as they actually had leprosy. So and they go. They're like, all right, we got nothing to lose. Um, and then as they were going, they're cleansed. Man, you know that. It's cool reading in Scripture, you read this and it's like, eh, together we're cleansing. Man, what an understatement. Can you imagine? T- I mean, I don't know what it was like because it doesn't say that the skies opened up, there was a big flash of light. It doesn't say if their fingers grew back. But if you see how horrible this, defic- you know, this actually makes you look, if they're healed from this where it is gone and it's that quick, I mean, it would have to just be amazing. I couldn't imagine what that would be like walking along you know, with your nine buddies Hey, dude, you got a pinky, you know what I mean, where you didn't have it before. Is this something that's growing in front of their eyes? Are these scales falling off of their face? You know, are they just, I mean, it's what an understatement that as they went, they were cleansed. This had to have just been, I mean, it's one thing to talk about when you haven't lived it, but I mean, I couldn't imagine these guys that have suffered, been outside of town, haven't seen their aunts, their cousins, their family, maybe they've seen them from afar off, haven't been able to hug their kids, you know, I mean, haven't been able to go to the temple and worship. They're living a half-life you know, according to their, to their standards, and to walk and actually see. I mean, if it was instantaneous, did they blink and it was cleansed? Or was it something slow that they're sitting here watching happening? I don't know. It doesn't say, but, I mean, that's what an understatement. and What an amazing miracle. I mean, that's just, that's amazing. Um, we see in Leviticus 14, this, you know, it's a big deal when people are certified as being cleansed of leprosy. Um, and it was a big deal, too, because these people would have probably been before the priests before when they said, all right, you're unclean, I'm sorry, you're out. They're going back to these same priests, so it's not like people that wouldn't, the priests wouldn't have recognized or that weren't known. And it's like, you've got all your fingers, or you, know, you don't have, you, I can see your face. You're not blind anymore. You can speak normally. And these are people, for the most part, you know, their priests and religious rulers did not put their faith in Jesus these uh, religious rulers would have to say, all right, I, I, you know, I, you're right, you're cleansed. You can, you know, they would have, go through this process and let these people back into society. 
they were a bit of, you know, maybe reluctant witnesses for Christ. You said Jesus did that. I got no other way to say otherwise. Maybe some of them became believers, maybe some not. But those priests would have had to have been reluctantly or, or otherwise, you know, uh, witnesses that Jesus has the power to heal, which is just a, that's an amazing thought, too. And that takes us into verse 15. And one of him, one of them, excuse me, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God. The other guys are going to the priest. It doesn't say that they meet, made it to the priest. It says when he saw that he was healed. He's going on the way with nine other guys to the priest. And, man, we are healed. These other guys are excited. They're going to go to the priest. They're going to get to see their families. They're going to get to be regular in society. This other guy says, man, I'm cleansed. And what does he do? Before he even makes it to the priest, he immediately goes back to give thanks to Jesus. He was full of joy and amazement. This guy understood the implications of what really happened. You know, uh, I think he recognized, too, that he had been in the presence of God. He had been given his life back, and he wanted to give praise and thanks. He had been redeemed. I was reading this, and the first thing I kind of thought of, I know this is maybe a bit cheesy, but if anybody's ever read or watched the movie Account of Monte Cristo, you know, the main character at one point, he gets in a knife fight. He's forced to fight to the death, or he will be killed. He fights this guy named Jacopo. He has more, he's about to kill him, and then he has mercy on him and convinces everybody to let them both live. And Jacopo says, he knows that he should be, by rights, he should be a dead man. He says, I'm your man forever. He goes on being his servant and his friend, and they have this relationship together through the rest of the story. And I was just kind of, <laughs> I don't know what, I don't, I've never had my life absolutely saved by somebody, but you know that that, that was this just Thanksgiving welling up in this guy saying, man, I, everything's about to change for me. These last, whatever, a year, five, 10, 20 years, how long it's been since I've been able to worship in the temple, since I've been able to see my family, you know, since I've been able to experience life as a normal human being, I've got it back now. It's because of this guy. And this is just welling up inside him and he goes back to give, uh, to give thanks. And it says um, that he was glorifying God here in verse 15 with a loud voice, you know, and which might be insignificant, but, you know, obviously he's excited. What if he was one of those guys that couldn't speak right, you know, or had barely a voice? He's got his voice back, you know, maybe, I don't know. But he's declaring with a loud voice, uh, giving, uh, glorifying God as he comes before Jesus. Now, what a sight. What a sight for others that were around. And verse 16, he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Uh, fell down on his feet. He worshipped Jesus. When you fall down on your face, that's, that's an act of worship, uh, being prostrate before Jesus there. Now, um, this guy was a Samaritan, so Jews didn't agree, you know, had big problems with Samaritans because they weren't purebred Jews. They also um, had beliefs that were different, but they both agreed that you only are supposed to worship God. They would not bow down to Roman leaders. They wouldn't do these things because uh, Old Testament is very clear. You worship nobody but uh, God alone, and it's a big deal if you worship anybody else. The fact that he comes and falls down on his face and gives him thanks is, is, is huge. I think he, he recognizes that there's something more going on here. Uh, the word for give thanks we have uh, here is eucharisteo, is to thank. It's the verb form of eucharistia, which is thanksgiving, so the word for thanksgiving. Uh, the root word comes from care or chair or chair, which, is the, which expresses a feeling of joy. We have this in, in charis, which is grace. We also have that in kairo, uh, which is to rejoice. Paul uses the word eucharisteo frequently in the early sections of his letters when he's giving thanksgiving to God 
um, for, uh, for his brothers and sisters in these different places and what God's doing through them and their faith. He gives thanks to God. It's the same, same word. This guy was a Samaritan, though. The only reason that he was with these other guys that were Jews is because he was a leper. Jews and Samaritans didn't eat together. They didn't hang out together. But when you are thrown, but when you can no longer hang out with any other Jew or anybody else, except for people that have leprosy, you make friends <laughs> quickly, I suppose. All those barriers are broken down uh, in the pit, I guess. Uh, but here we have this Samaritan at the feet of Jesus, and that is huge. That's a big deal. And we see in John 4 that the first person that Jesus openly reveals plainly and clearly that he is the Messiah is to the Samaritan woman at the well, you know, and that's just a, it's, what a picture. God is obviously not a racist. His rescue plan is for the whole world. It always has been, and it will continue to be. So Jesus answered, verse 17, and said, We're not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? The other nine were cleansed, yes, but they proceeded to the priest as instructed. You know, uh, what are they planning to do? Maybe they're planning to go get cleansed. Maybe they're planning to go to the temple and say, we've been cleansed and we're going to give glory to God in the place where God is. Maybe that's what they're thinking. Maybe they're going to go see their family first. Maybe they're good Jews and fully intend to give thanks to God, but they're not coming back to give thanks to Jesus. The reality is that the glory of God The real glory of God is no longer in that temple, not anymore. It was right here in Christ. This Samaritan, God offers this man more than just physical healing, and this man, I think, understands that. We have here in verse 18, Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Man, what a deal. He says, returned to give glory to God, not went to offer a sacrifice to give glory to God, but came to me to give glory to God. Wow. He doesn't say, does anybody come to thank me? He said, does anybody return to me to give glory to God? What a statement. That is, I mean, good grief. I mean, if there's any more clear picture of the deity of Jesus other than his power, but he doesn't shy away from it. The word here that's for foreigner, it's man of another race, foreigner, you know, this, this means that this, this man can't go into the inner uh, court of the temple because he's considered a foreigner. He's not one that can actually go into the inner court. He can go and worship God, but he's not, you know, a full-blooded Jew. Um, but here he stands, this foreigner stands face to face and with the God of the universe. He gives him thanks. And in verse 19 And he, that is Jesus, and he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. And there's a a lot in that statement. Because he says, Rise, go your way, your faith has made you well. It's interesting that it's translated, your faith has made you well. The word is sozo. It is the word for saved, word used in Savior. It is used sometimes in Scripture to be like to be made whole or made well, but it's not the word that's used when it says that all these people were cleansed. There's another word that's used when they're cleansed in this verse. This guy comes back, gives thanks, and Jesus says, Go, your faith has saved you. Um, there's another verse uh, in Luke that has a very similar, I mean, almost not word for word, but very similar uh, statement from Jesus that said to somebody that's not even ill. If you want to turn there, you can. Uh, I'm going to read it. It's Luke 7. 
36 through 50. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said, uh, he said to himself, this, If this man were a prophet, he would, know what type, uh, he would know who is touching him and what type of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to, to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owned, us, uh, us, uh, owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman uh, and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? She, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not start, stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my, perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? Then Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Same statement. Your faith has made you well or has saved you. Same thing exactly that Jesus says um, to, to this man when he comes to him and gives him thanks. He said, Go, rise, go your way. Your faith has saved you. How powerful. You know, the second miracle is uniquely for this man out of the ten. His faith has saved him, has made him well in a different way than just being cleansed. And he says, go your way. It doesn't say where he goes. It doesn't say if he goes on to the priest or if he even cares at that point. Maybe he does so he can rightly you know, resume and say, I don't know how things worked in Samaria exactly. Um, but so I'm not sure exactly what, what, it, what that means. You know, this man's theology might not have all been worked out, but he knows for a fact that the one that he has just seen, or the, this guy he's been in the presence of, and this Jesus is greater than any of these priests. He's done something that nobody else can do for him. So just as a few conclusions here, you know, this section is not only concerned with the ability of Jesus to cure lepers, but also the attitude or response of the cured person. It shows that healing is not salvation itself. It's awesome to see God's compassion, and it's awesome that God loves us and cares for us in this life, but this life is not the end. And, you know, we can be excited about what Jesus can do for us and not even catch what he did for us. You know what I mean? So many people run after Jesus for what can I get or, or these other cool ideas. You know, or you're glad to take with open hands from Jesus things in this world, which, you know, it's great when God gives us good gifts, but how sad to have that and completely miss what Jesus really did for us, which was bear you know, the burden of our sins and made a new life for us. And you think, you know, it was, it was very similar. These people that have lived with these dis, disfigurements were stuck in a life that wasn't perfect, and Jesus freed them from that. 
Jesus has done that for us in a real way too. The story does not indicate that the others lacked faith. They obviously had some faith because they went, as Jesus said, and went to, uh, and also uh, they were healed. And they also went and um, were cleansed and went back into society. But their faith was not complete, and it lacked gratitude, and I think a full or appropriate understanding at that time of who Jesus was. We're not ten cleansed, but the nine, where are they? In the passage, this passage is a story of the ministry of Jesus, but it also reads kind of like a parable, and a rather sad parable. Um, the nine needed to be healed, they got that, but their souls were not okay, and I don't know that they got that, you know. Uh, at any rate, a lot of the, you see the, a lot of the picture of the idea of the Jews in this time of Jesus. They feel like we're okay, you know, we're okay. We're the sons of Abraham. We're God's chosen ones. We're His called out ones. We are okay because we're God's people. That makes us okay. Uh, but that's not. That doesn't make you okay. <laughs> it seems to kind of mirror the general attitude of of all Israel. What this the attitude of these nine probably were. You know, you know, don't expect us to acknowledge your deity, Jesus. They're excited when Jesus goes through Galilee and Judea and all these people bring everybody that's sick and Jesus does all these awesome things for them. But in mass, Israel as a nation does not turn and accept Jesus as the Messiah that he was, that he was which is very sad. These guys also were glad to take from him, but they still were not, at this point anyway, maybe they did later, uh, thank him truly for who he was and, and accept him as Messiah. But at this point, it doesn't seem like they, they did that. Um, it's sad to think of that. That's you know really the, the state of Israel at that time. And it seems like this verse really is, other than the story and the power, power of that, is kind of, I mean, a bit of a parable too for, uh, for the state uh, that the, the nation of Israel was in, where you have Samaritan at Jesus' feet, but not the other nine. Let's read a couple of verses. Matthew eleven twenty 20 through 24. And Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, places where he did the most, because they did not repent. So woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, Will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that had been performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. And it's sad just to see that you know, Jesus did all these amazing things in the midst of Israel, God's chosen people. And even still, they weren't willing. They were willing to, to, to get excited about the miracles, but they weren't willing to recognize him as Messiah. And it wasn't because Jesus didn't want him to. We see here in Matthew 23, 37-39, O Jerusalem, this is Jesus' words, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills its prophets and stones its messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. It's just sad. You know, many wanted to see the miracles, experience the common grace. He had this authoritative teaching that was interesting to see, um, but not all, not all were willing to call him Messiah. But this one we have in this story, the Samaritan, not even one of God's chosen ones, returned and worshipped and gave thanks to God, which is very powerful. So for us, we want to be 
like the Samaritan for sure. You know, it's kind of difficult to be overwhelmed. I mean, for me anyway, it's, sometimes it's very difficult to be overwhelmed with joy in response to salvation. And I, I, don't get me wrong at first, but a lot of, I mean, it's, it seems like it's more of an abstract thought. I know I've been saved, but I haven't been dangling over literal fire and had somebody snatch me where it's like, you know, my adrenaline is pumping. And I know in my mind that I've been saved, but somehow the joy doesn't like bubble up in me all the time as I wish it was, as I wish it did. For this guy, though, it's not just an abstract sense of his salvation. The, there was a physical and there was a spiritual, and I think he saw some sort of correlation, or I think we should see that correlation in him anyway. Um, and it's easier to be thankful and excited when you've been healed from a terrible disease that's taken away your life, um, has been given a second chance at life. This is exactly what Christ came to do. You know, we're, we're diseased with death and sin in a way that we can't really comprehend or see physically. Um, and Jesus really has. He's given us this, you know, just through faith, go, you know, as he tells these guys in this step of faith, go and you'll be cleansed. All we have to do is put our faith in Jesus Christ, and he's done the same thing for us, but for us, we don't get to, like, pull the scales off. You know, we don't get to, but for those of us that have really experienced it, we know, we know there's something to it. You know, and you've, you've probably heard Chet say um, in the past, I've heard him say it a couple of times, it's important to worship the Lord with your whole being, even with your emotions. You know, that's meaningful. God desires every part of our being. You know, a true faith response to God involves thankfulness, which also involves our emotions. The, you know, the word in thankful, and there can be a sense where we're thankful because we know we should be thankful, but there is a sense where that should involve our emotions. For those of us that have experienced salvation, at least at some time we've known the realization that we have offended a holy God. We know the feeling of sorrow for our evil actions and thoughts. We know our rebellion. You know, I, more than anything, I know my selfishness. We've also experienced the grace of God through Christ. We know that Christ... The sad thing is we know that Christ died alone. You know, he was, he was on that cross, him and his father that had been in perfect unity and this perfect relationship that we can't even really comprehend it with our little mortal brains since before, since before time, since before creation, since before these things that we, you know, endeavor to learn about in, in this physical world. These, Jesus, the Son and the Father were together in perfect relationship like these uh, people that came down with leprosy that were separated. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, he said, Lord, Lord, why have you forsaken me? At that point, he was, his relationship with the Father was broken in the sense that he was bearing our guilt, our shame. The Father could not look on him. And he died alone on the cross in a way that we, I think, know that we deserved, a separation. You know, We were not good enough for that uh, to be in God's presence. Jesus was good enough, but he chose to take our place, and he died alone for us. It's not the end of the story, though, which is, which is exciting. And we have felt you know, the weight of this truth for those of us that have believed. We also know what it is like to be moved to our core for those of us that have put our faith in Christ. We know thankfulness. You know, we've sung it loudly in worship. I'm sure at many points we've whispered it from our knees in prayer. Um, and I would just encourage us from this verse with the reality of what Jesus has done for us. And then at the same time he's risen, he has set us free. The victory is in Jesus. We have this victory. 
we, I mean, we need to exercise. We, want to all, we all want to exercise our faith more. But part of faith is thanksgiving. And I, I just want to encourage you to exercise that part of your faith more. Uh, so we're going to move into open time. And as we move into open time, just want to keep maybe three thoughts on our mind as we pray. And lastly, if somebody would just keep, just keep in your hearts um, the nation of Israel. Just from reading through this, it just kind of put a little bit of a burden on my heart that I haven't had before. The fact that Jesus sent his Messiah for his chosen people, but in mass, you know, they've rejected him, which is sad. And that continues to this day. There's Jews interspersed all over the world. I say Israel. I really mean, really mean Jewish people and Jewish people of Jewish faith, whether that be in Athens, whether that be, you know, in South America, Africa. They're all over the world. But in mass, you know, Jesus has sent this Messiah to the, his chosen people, but in, in, in mass, they've, they've rejected him. So just... Uh, Maybe a, a prayer for Israel. Also, just exp- want to express thankfulness, like Paul in his uh, apostle, in his epistles, his letters, for you know brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that are still pushing forward, spreading the gospel. Also, for us, for the faith and growth that we've seen in our lives, the work of Christ in our lives, and, and, and believers all over the world, and just express thankfulness for that that God is still working. You know the you know his his rescue plan that culminated in Christ is done. The, the work is done as far as what is needed to be made right with God, but he's still working in our world and through us. So just express thank, thankfulness and prayer for that. And, but firstly, uh, as we go into the, the open time, I just want us to express thankfulness to God for making us clean, you know, for giving us a second life in Christ, um, for making us clean from sin, from saving, for saving us, and the just thankfulness that you know, even though we don't feel it every day, that that reality um, one day will be the ultimate reality. Everything that we've strived for or done in our lives is all secondary to, to that, you know. And uh, just pray that the Lord would give us great thankfulness and well that up within our spirits. So let's go ahead and pray and move into open time. I'll pray for us. Lord, I just thank you so much for what you've done for us. I think deep inside, Lord, we all know that we are very much, very much like these lepers, Lord, that we are hopeless on our own, um, that as much as we try, we are, we are still stained with sin, that we are still stained um, with our sinful flesh. And Lord, I thank you that just as you miraculously healed these ten guys from this horrible disease, that you've also made a way for us to be free from sin and death from your work on the cross through Christ. I just pray that we would have this type of thankfulness well up inside of us um, like the Samaritan, that we would be people that are regularly at your feet on our knees with tears, giving praise to God and saying thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And Lord, we still have stubborn flesh and we still have hard hearts a lot of times, God. Um, And I just pray that you would make us soft people, people that are led by the Spirit, people that can feel the weight of the spiritual reality um, around us as much as the physical. And I just pray for your grace and your goodness in this and pray for this time that we have that you would use our brothers and sisters to speak uh, your words 
and to encourage one another and for your glory. Pray these things. In the name of our precious Savior, Jesus. Amen.